All right, finally here, another edition of the damn podcast. Brandon's break, 1080 The Fan, Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. Sorry for the delay. We had a technical issue going on in my uh, my building where we uh, record my radio show. Um, and so we got it corrected. So it's a day late, but another edition. And uh, unfortunately, Angie, we have to record this coming off of a 31-point loss. I, I almost don't even know where to start. I know. I know it's. It's never fun to do these podcasts, uh, especially after a loss like that. Um, but I, I thought the first half, I, I'll, I'll be the optimist here, I think the first half we saw that Oregon State has a quarterback, and uh, we saw some good stuff there, but uh, that second half was uh, was ugly. I'm glad you're going optimism here, and it, it's not like I'm going pessimistic. I'm actually I'm trying to be realistic with what I saw, um, and I there's no doubt this is a tale of two halves, but... I find it interesting that you say the quarterback thing um, because you walk away and say it's clearly found a quarterback, whereas a lot of people that I heard on my radio show, on Twitter, or anything else, it felt like it was the other way. The other way. It felt like it was people thinking Luton didn't have a good game, not much to take away from it other than he had three interceptions. I, I Why do you think you feel your way versus how so many other people feel how they feel. I just, I, I thought the first, I mean, he he missed a few, you know, he overthrew some guys, but I thought the first half, uh, we saw a guy that could throw a deep ball that we haven't seen at Oregon State for uh, several years. Well, and I, I agree with you on that, on that part. Um, and to me, look, I, I actually am more in, in your camp than I am the other side. Uh, I, I walk away and, you know, the bad throw that was tipped that led to the pick six, clearly everybody's devastated, and now you look at the scoreboard and you feel a lot different. Uh, the interception with Timmy Hernandez falling down, look, that, that's... I don't know if you throw that ball even with Hernandez going, but you can't really fault him because he connected early with a long touchdown pass, so can't really fault him on that. I know people can nitpick those things, but I didn't walk away saying, oh, you know, Jake Luton is a huge problem with what I just saw. If you were to list your top three or four things that you're concerned about walking away, he actually doesn't make my list. I saw a lot of potential there with arm strength, uh, moving the pocket, ability to escape the pocket and make plays on the run. The the Togei touchdown should have counted, and maybe it feel, it makes the team feel a little different going into the half. And that play was one that was improvised on the run. He's scrambling to the right. He's going towards the sidelines, and he throws a dart perfectly where Togei needs it. He just, Luton was not one of the things that I walk away from worried. It wasn't the greatest game from a quarterback, and obviously you got to cut the three interceptions. Um, But people that were, there were people that were panicking about quarterback and going, well, you still don't know if you have a quarterback. I I disagree. I think time for him is going to be the best thing. And uh, I saw a lot of potential with the way he played. I totally, and you know that the tip ball, the pick six, you know that was on him. It was it was thrown behind uh, Isaiah Hodgins, but uh, tip balls we've seen so many times, time and time again, that those tip balls can uh, lead to disaster. But no, if if I was picking three things that stood out to me as problems, it definitely wasn't it wasn't Luton. Well, I, and I, I kind of want to start with that that kind of list, right? So for all the people that watched that game and. I watched, I just got done with Hood to Coast, and I luckily we had just got, my team got into Seaside, and we showered, and I want to say we literally walked into Seaside Brewing at kickoff. We caught kickoff right as it started, and it couldn't have been better timing. And sitting down watching that, and then we bar hopped a little bit to a couple spots through uh, different quarters in halftime, 
the thing that sticks out, this is number one for me. Maybe you have a different number one. I, I can't remember being as disappointed with a front seven performance defensively for Oregon State than watching that game against Colorado State. I knew they had a great running back. We know how good Nick Stevens is going in with their wide receivers. But we can say what we want about past experiences with Banker and being run on. That felt like one of those devastating, they're going to do whatever they want and there's nothing you can do about it type days. And it was almost from the get-go. Yeah, and, and that that was one of mine too. The, the front seven, I mean, that was the thing we heard over and over and over in camp from those guys is that they'd shored up a lot of the problems they had last year, but I didn't see it. And then uh, the linebackers, I expected more from you know Bright or Manasseh. They were kind of non-existent. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, here's the, here's the other part of that too: is was it just well, how much of that was opponent? How much of that was scheme? How much of it was? Simply the kids maybe not being as good as we thought. Because I, I look like an idiot going into the year by saying one of my least concerns is the front seven. Like, I thought that was the two position groups. I said this on the radio show, and I may have said this on the pod. Like, of the two, if you, if you put two position groups together, I said linebacker, defensive line, your front seven is the one I, I, I trust the most. Yeah. And it's the one I walk away from after Saturday saying I trust the least right now. No, exactly. I mean, that was – and so that's actually the game I'm actually most excited to see this weekend is Colorado State playing Colorado to just see how good their offensive line was. Yeah, to see what the uh, the watermark is for Colorado State, right? If they push Colorado around, I think that makes you feel a lot better as a Beaver fan. If, if Colorado goes in there and, you know, they, they whoop on them again or they end up – coming out with a win. I mean, I don't know how you have no you have no other way to walk away from your matchup previous week and say, "All right, now we kind of know where we're stacking up early on this season because you have Colorado coming into town at, uh in the midway point of your year. Y- you're a little concerned then going in I think into Pac-12 play." Exactly, exactly. So, you know, that was my my number one concern then was that the defensive front seven. Second, I'm going to say line. The I, offensive you know? line? Yeah. The offensive line still struggled um, while Luton, you know, and, and part of that, you know, might be on play calling. And, and I, I will say this, I, Ryan Nall needs more than 15 touches a game. Bottom well, line. How much of that has to do with where they were? Because that, that's a narrative for a lot of people as well. They fell behind Angie. They had to throw it a bunch to, to, to catch back up. Are you not buying that narrative or, or you just think he needs more touches in general? I, personally, I thought they gave up on the run too soon. I mean, granted, uh, I mean, they started going downfield when uh, it was a 10-point game. I mean, even Rick Neuheisel was on the, on the TV broadcast saying they're abandoning the run way too fast. Um, it, it felt it, it like harkened back to the Langsdorf-Riley uh, days, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you there. Uh, they had a few moments of good pass protection and you know, the first few possessions for him, especially the one early where they scored uh, on the Hernandez throw, it felt like Luton had pretty decent chunks of time to to find the guys that he wanted to dump it to. Um, it, it's just, you can't push around a Mountain West front seven. Now, maybe this, maybe this changes. Maybe our opinion, we're going to look back on this in nine or ten weeks, 11 weeks, and go, oh, Colorado State has one loss, and they're a New Year's Six type team. Maybe we feel different at that point. But I think going into the year now where you get Portland State and then you get Minnesota and then you have those three tough Pac-12 games starting your conference playoff right away, 
uh, I think going into that right now, you have no choice but to sit there and be a little a little worried about where they're at right now as a group and what they're potentially going to be able or not be able to do against similar opponents to Colorado State. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that um, I, I do think that Colorado State is, is a good opponent. Now, are they compare? I mean, what I saw watching that game initially, you know, like my, my gut check watching during the game was, oh, crap. I mean, Washington, USC, Stanford are going to kill them. Taking a step back, rewatching it, kind of going, you know, talking to some people, it, you know, okay, you can't have five turnovers and expect to win a game. So um, the whole doom and gloom that maybe I felt on Saturday, it's been tempered some, but, uh, no, they, there's some work to be done. And I, I did think it was interesting today, uh, Coach Anderson, you know, it's his Thursday, he meets with the press, kind of one last, one last ditch uh, interview before they play the week. Well, he was but, grumpy um, on Monday, so I'm curious how he was today. Yeah, so Monday he was salty. I don't know if you uh, have seen that press conference, but he was he was kind of pissed off, mm-hmm. which, I, you know, we, we heard so many people under, during the Riley era mad when Riley would show up at a press conference after a big loss and be like, well, we got back to work today, and <laughs> that he wasn't mad enough. And now people are, you know, Coach Anderson's too salty and too mad. But, um, you know, the, the thing that stood out to me is that he talks about that, you know, there were mistakes. So his quote was, there were mistakes that have, been to, have to be corrected if we're going to be a good football team. My real overall message to them and it's to every coach, every player, and everyone involved in this program. There's not 50 things that, we need, that we've got to do to be a good football team. There's a couple more steps that we need to take, but they are very cr- crucial steps and key steps. So I, I, I love that he said that um, because I think that's important for kind of just hindsight of walking away from that where you see the score or you watch most. I, I don't know about you. I, I walked away from that game when it was – they, I mean, it was like six minutes to go. They were down 20-plus points in the fourth quarter. It was evident they were done. Um, I just preferred at that point to walk to the beach and start drinking and celebrating the fact that I did Hood Coast. So I actually missed the last Luton interception, and when I saw the score, I just I kind of chuckled like, holy crap, they scored another two touchdowns. Um, but I, I think that's good to reflect on, right, where they lost by 31, they gave up 58 points, but we see it all the time in football. How easy is it? for a team where two or three big things just don't go right at all, turnovers, uh, 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 third down percentage stops on defense, just one or two things don't go their way, and the game explodes out. I think that's exactly what happened with Colorado State, where they're not 31 points worse than the Rams. Clearly right now they're not as good a team. I don't I don't care about alt- altitude. I don't care about heat. Uh, I love the people making excuses for that. I'm sorry, I can't buy that. If they would have won the game, nobody would have written or talked about how they beat the Heat and they beat the altitude. You talk about how impressive Oregon State looked. So I'm not ready to give them the the out on the excuse of losing that game. Um, But for me, it's just about making your adjustments. Now, the adjustment side, even though they didn't score as many points as I thought they could against a weaker defense... I, I still believe it is far and away your adjustments need to be made on the defensive side to look that unprepared, to have that many wide open uh, spots open in their in their defensive coverage. I mean, how many times? Uh, it you, looked like safeties were lost. Like it they had really no idea did. Where to even line yes, up. there were wide open holes that those wide receivers were exposing, and they got no pass rush, zero sacks. So, I, I think most of your things you need to tweak and fix on the defensive side of the ball. I, I completely agree. 
Now, what do you do offensively, though? Of he wants he wants the balance of sixty forty. That's the big thing for Gary Anderson. He wants sixty percent run to forty percent pass. Well, you threw forty seven times. You ran it what twenty eight times, twenty nine times. Yeah, yeah. So you you clearly have a difference to make, and now you have an FCS opponent this weekend. I just wonder if we continue to watch this offensive line. Let's all kind of watch this collectively for the next let's say three weeks. Let's give them this game. Let's say Minnesota, and then let's go Washington State, who they open conference play up in the Palouse. Let's watch the way the offensive line plays because it will get to a point where, Angie, if they're not getting the push that we saw similar in their last two or three games last year, and Ryan Nall's running all over the all over the place, and Art Pierce isn't running all over the place, I think it's a legit question to wonder. Is it time to abandon the 60-40 theme, given your offensive line at that point is still not pushing teams around to the extent in which you want? No, I, I think that's completely you know, valid. You have to play to the strengths of your team, and if your O-line is a better pass-blocking team, then you need to do that. But you still have to figure out a way to get Ryan Nall. I mean, he's a beast. So um, whether that's you know, flexing him out, doing little bubble screens to him, because um, he's the type of player that in space he's going to make plays. Mm-hmm. Well, we, and, we saw uh, the space he had and he busted off 75 back, yards. I haven't seen a whole lot from the receivers yet. Yeah. Well, what happened to Hodgins? I I don't recall seeing his name outside of the tip pass. Yeah, yeah. He kind of got gobbled up there by their by their defenders. Yeah. So, Villanova. you know, that's, a lot of that I think can be attributed to some freshmen. Mm-hmm. You know, first game, it's faster pace of game. Um, I would be surprised. You know, it's going to be hard to gauge against Portland State because, you know, Every, everything, you know, the pundits, everything you look at says Oregon State should just roll. So uh, it should be, it'll be tougher to gauge there, but, um, and then Minnesota comes to town. That's going to be a, a true test right there. Well, and, and you had great games out of Togiai. Villeman had seven catch games, so that's great. Uh, and Timmy Hernandez, really kind of the the unsung hero, stepping up and kind of revealing that he's one of the favorite targets of Jake Luton with his size, with his with his speed, I should say, and his, uh, his hands. I liked what I saw out of those three guys. It's it's just a matter of what point do you start to trust other players or what other players will step up around those three because, you know, maybe there's a game Timmy Hernandez is taken out or Jordan Villeman struggles with a little bit of the drops. You know, Trevon Bradford had the uh, the crying Jordan play called for him, which was a basically a fly sweep. He gets knocked and they fumble, which was very ironic given the play that they called. Um, didn't see much out of Hawkins. And again, Hodgins couldn't really get it going in his first appearance for the Beavers. So uh, I, I think that's, an, that's another part, I think, for Gary Anderson and the coaches, Phillips and McGiven, to figure out you know, what other playmakers can we rely on. Because if you're not going to give the ball to Ryan Nall as much as most people want, then who is, who's going to get the ball? Is it, you wait for Seth Collins and just play the waiting game? Or do you trust and give opportunities to some of these other kids that uh, didn't really do much for you in week one. Yeah, and see that, you know, and I look at, at this team, I look at the playmakers, and it's Togiai, it's Nall, it's Pierce, it's potentially a, a Thomas Tyner, it's the running guys, it's the running backs. So figuring out a way to get those guys involved, you know, we did, like you said, we didn't see much from a Villaman. We didn't see much from, you know, we saw Timmy Hernandez actually, I thought, played pretty well, except for his, his fall, that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty big fall, but. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, you have to get the ball in those playmakers' hands. 
Yeah, no, I loved what I saw from Timmy Hernandez. I got I got no qualms with that at all. He stepped up. He had the first touchdown of the year for him. But, um, and, and honestly, if I'm the coach right now, I may sit Villaman in favor of Timmy Hernandez. Would you really? Would you sit Villaman or Hodgins? Or Hodgins? Well, he backs up Hodgins, but I think you're. I think when you look at potential for Hodgins, yeah, and he already has a pretty good relationship or a, a good chemistry going with Luton that we've seen in practice. I think you leave Hodgins in. Well, the good thing about that, though, Angie, is it to me, it's 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 almost San Antonio Spurs like it. It doesn't necessarily matter who starts. It's about it's about finding the right mix, right? Exactly. So Manu Ginobili never started for the Spurs. He was a great six man, but he guess who played at the end of the ball game? It was the six man. Yeah. And to yeah. me, it, it's a similar instance, not obviously in greatness yet, but of just you have a you have a good problem on your hands. Do you sit a, a true freshman who didn't really show you anything at all? And allow Villaman, who again seven receptions in that game, you don't want to lose his confidence. So exactly. maybe you sit Hodgins and say Hodgins, we'll still give you a lot of looks. You're a true freshman, don't worry, we'll bring you along. You're not going to lose that many snaps, and you put in Timmy Hernandez ahead of him. But another part too is I, I got back into town Saturday night uh, and I started watching the Mayweather McGregor fight with some boys, and I just so happened to run into somebody that knows Ryan Nall fairly fairly well, um, about as well as you possibly could know somebody. And we got to talking about the game, and I said, yeah, I don't know what happened, man. It just it just came crumbling down for him quick. And he goes, yeah, I talked to him. He was a lot more pissed than he's going to let on. And uh, the whole touches thing is a, is a real concern for him because there were NFL scouts at that game specifically to watch him. And he didn't finish with what he thought was enough enough touches. Yeah, yeah. And so I started the game pretty impressed, actually, that they were able to get touches for all those guys. I was like, wow. I mean, that's, you know, we saw some AP. We saw uh, Tyner. I, I think Tyner only had four touches. And he wants more, too. I mean, that's it's going to be hard to manage when you have um, some pretty solid backs that mm-hmm. all want their share of touches. But um, like I said, Ryan Nall is your playmaker on offense. Yeah, I mean that's he's your best player, and, and I want my playmaker pissed if he's not getting enough touches. And he is pissed. And and by the way, let's just this isn't breaking news. This isn't like some thought that hasn't been thrown out already. I think he's gone. I really do. Uh, barring something bad happening, and I you never wish that on anybody. I think that kid is gone. I think he's NFL bound. Um, scouts like I was told scouts like him a lot more than people have discussed. Again, there were scouts specifically at that Colorado State game to watch him play. He's got great size, his speed. We've seen that now for a few years. It can be deceptive to some, but now it's just it's normal for all of us. He's he's got good speed and he's got ability to break tackles and catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he's gone. So if this is if you're going about this with, hey, this is our last year with a guy like Ryan Nall, I don't care if a Thomas Tyner's upset he's not getting enough touches, if Calvin Tyner, Tyler wants uh, more looks. If Trey Norris or whoever it is complains, I want Ryan Nall getting the football in his hands. I like what I saw from Art Pierce. I thought Tyner was a little dancey in the backfield, something similar we saw in Eugene. Um, so just going off a one-game reaction, I want to give I want to give Ryan Nall the rock as many times as I possibly can. Well, and we didn't see it, but I, I said last last week in the pod that. I want to see two backs, and I thought we would. I thought we would see that last week, and, and we didn't. But um, I think I think they have some sets that we see probably not this week, hopefully not this week, just because you don't want to give away everything 
early in the season, but I want to see the two backs. Mm-hmm. I want to see how they can make that work and, uh, you know, take some of the pressure off of, you know, Ryan Nall. Yeah, they have too much talent in that backfield to not stack those guys up and cause defense some headaches. Exactly. I mean, that's, you know, you look at the wide receivers and not that there's not talent there, but when you have as much talent as you have at, at wide receiver, get those, or at running back, get those guys in. Yeah. 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 That's, ex- yeah. I'm thinking the same thing. Um, you know, you mentioned the pundits, right? Like the spread for this game this week in Portland State, Oregon State is 20 plus. Um, I'm already on the record, so I have no problem saying it once again. A lot of people, listener wise on my radio show, um, some of which are Duck Husky Cougar fans, no doubt. Um, and some other media, local media members I have seen just prediction wise, people think because of the way Portland State played against BYU in Provo that now this weekend suddenly there's no gimme and this game could be a lot closer than than people think. I'm straight on the record. I think Oregon State's going to mop the floor with Portland State this weekend. And I got to be totally honest, if they don't, I'm concerned walking out of that. Somebody asked me today, like if they win, if they win by 14, how do you feel about that? Like a win is a win, but if they win by 14, are you okay? Are you a little disappointed? Because in all honesty, I don't care that Portland State hung with BYU. Statistically, BYU killed them on offense, just couldn't capitalize on the scoreboard. If they're only winning by 14 points, I'm I'm a little disappointed. I think they're going to roll them. And uh, I found it very intriguing that like the reaction to that from people was, hey, I think Portland State can stand a chance. Where do you weigh in on that? See, this has actually been it's it's been a question that I've kind of been posing on Beaver Blitz because I'm curious because to me this feels like a no win game, you know it's every everybody expects you to go out and just kill them so you know wins a win, but are fans going to be upset if they don't win by thirty or forty or whatever? So, but you know I don't know maybe, it's, but uh, the fans have been pretty like hey right now I want to see a win first and foremost and I want to see a team that plays whistle to whistle and doesn't give up. So it doesn't matter the like if they win by fourteen. It doesn't matter as long as they win and they're more disciplined and less. You know, obviously not five turnovers. Exactly, exactly. And and watching a defense that can actually swarm to the ball and and make tackles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I maybe it was a couple cocktails that I had on Saturday night, but I was talking with a a buddy who is an Oregon State alum, and uh, it, he he sent me they, there was a tweet from the Beaver Athletics Twitter account and. I believe it was it was Saturday night. It may have been Sunday morning. I I had a long weekend, but um, he sent me one and he he goes, "Hey, how do you feel about this?" And I click the it's like an Instagram post or something, and I click it and I I just I read it and it was like so many lessons can be learned, but we walk away with our heads held our heads held high. And I read that and I go, honestly, I hate it. I'm tired of this like. Well, still learn a lesson out of life when you lose. Like I'm, I get people using that mentality. I use that in my everyday life when I'm working out, working, etc. Right. But as a sports fan, I am tired of that. It's it's a defeatist. Like, well, we're okay with getting destroyed in Fort Collins. Stop <laughs> yeah, posting no, I, that I crap. Totally agree. Stop. Like, yeah. If you have a standard, right? You're paying a coach three million a year, and you have this standard of not only being respectable and being a consistent bowl team that maybe wins seven or eight games a year, but you have seasons sprinkled in of competing for Pac-12 titles, if that's your vision, then stop being okay 
with getting destroyed and posting stuff. And yeah, no, and so that that to me sounds like somebody in the marketing or the ideation team. You yes. know, this whole best college town in the it, Act it, Twelve. Look, that, that for we, sure is what it is, and I know that person means well. I don't know who it is exactly. But just stop. You have to be able to recognize. Like, go look at all their Instagram posts. If you follow the Beavers on Instagram, go look at most of their posts from that weekend and their pictures of in-game, after-game, before-game, etc. Go read the comments. Go see the tweets because they're all basically like, way to show up. What an embarrassing performance by you guys. Like, yeah. nobody – I, good job, guys. Way to fight. You know, you had a couple people like, I'm still a Beaver. But most of it was like, stop – being proud of that crap. You got steamrolled in week zero. Now, now as a sport fan, I want to see, I mean, I want to see class. I want to, I, I, I did. I saw the team go. They came, to, you know what, Anderson now wants them to sing the fight song with the fans. I'm okay with that. And they did that. Yep, the, I'm the players okay were all that. down there. They didn't look all rah-rah. I mean, they, they did the fight song, and then no excuses. I want them to go in and be frankly, pissed off. I mean, yes. I, I, and I, we don't, we don't need to get into social commentary, but I mean, we're kind of in that, you know, everybody gets participation ribbons, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, it's okay. They learned some lessons. Yeah. Oh, they got killed. Yes. And I think you, and again, this is not the team specifically that's asking to post this stuff, exactly. right? This is no, exactly. other people trying to, I don't know, just put stuff on social media because that's the thing you're supposed to do. Like Gary Anderson's press conference Monday, I thought more than covered how I feel about this, his attitude, his saltiness. Like, I love that, right? Yeah. We yeah. can question a lot of things about Gary Anderson, and I, I do have some questions from that game. That was, in my opinion, his his first real embarrassing game as a head coach of, like, I sat there for a second and, like, year three what the hell was that like that's how you open your year like i think a lot of people had that moment yeah oh exactly but he is not one that's gonna go and post oh well you know we learned a lesson it's like no this is inexcusable and that was a pathetic effort he said i'm in uncharted waters and he used the word embarrassing i love that from their coach i just wish the west the rest of the athletic department would have that mentality on social media stuff. And it's a small thing to nitpick about. I just, a buddy sent it to me and asked how I felt. I told him and he basically was like, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm tired of this. We're just happy to be here mentality. Exactly. We're not. Exactly. You know? We're great kids. They're great guys. Yeah. Like, no, you're raised money to rebuild Valley. You want to f- complete the stadium on the alumni side. You're not just happy to be here. You want to compete and you're paying money to be one of those programs that can surprise folks. You're not just happy to be here anymore. This isn't 1995 Oregon State anymore. It's 2017, and I'm sorry, the coaching staff you have in place, the players, everybody's hungry and they want to do better. Losing by 31 is not something to just say, well, we learn a lesson and we move on. To a Mountain West school. To a Mountain West school, no doubt, yeah. Um, so... Do you have a? We have a lot of questions that we, we want to get to. We do have a ton of questions. Let's jump into some questions. Um, I'm going to do some Beaver Blitz ones first, just because last week, you know, I was in studio and uh, yeah. I didn't get to it. So yeah, we have a ton of questions. Um, I'm going to start with the Beaver Blitz ones because uh, we didn't get to those last week. I couldn't pull it up on my phone. Um, and then we also have a bunch from Twitter. Do you have any, Brandon, or do you want me to just jump into it? Yeah, if you could just – I don't have them, like, accessible right now. Just jump into them. Let's just pull them from wherever you want to start, Beaver Blitz. Let's go there, and we can go on Twitter with uh, some of the ones we got on Twitter, too. 
Okay, well, I, I got a, a, quitter, a Twitter, Twitter one here that I actually think is good for you. Um, Chris Prov asks, with no school, why didn't the team arrive in Colorado earlier to adjust to the altitude? Is it money or what else? I don't think it's a money issue. I think when you go into when you're going Power Five, Pac-12 football, they basically are just yeah, we'll do whatever you need to do. I think that's a really valid question. Um, I've loved Gary Anderson's approach of not blaming altitude or heat. I, again, I know some people are using that. I don't like the excuse, but I still think it's a it's a valid question to raise. I don't know. I don't I don't think it's a money issue at all. It's kind of just maybe their routine of when they head out to town, out of town to different places. And, you know, maybe they just didn't think that that was a big enough factor for them to say, hey, we got to get there a day or two earlier. Yeah. I, I If they wanted to, it's, it's not a money thing. They would have made it happen if they wanted to. Yeah. So there's something to be said for being in your own bed, too. So um, Beaver Blitz here. We'll jump into a couple of those. JT Beaver says, um, how could the coaching staff ever let that kind of effort, in quotation marks, happen? Uh, I, I'm glad that we're getting a question like that. That is exactly what I'm talking about, of not being satisfied or being okay with just showing up. Um, that's what I That's what I wondered. That was my big thing racing through my head of, that was the most un-Gary Anderson-like effort or performance that I ever expected. I, If you lose that game, fine. You lose that game by even 10. I still don't walk away going, oh, God. You lost by 31, and you looked lethargic, and out of it in the entire second half, and to the point where I just I couldn't believe it. It was again, it's his embarrass, it's his first big embarrassing moment as a head coach. Uh, if Riley would have had a game like that, we would have destroyed him. And in a year where we're expecting a bowl jump, I think a lot of people should be pretty upset by that. And Gary Anderson was himself, so I don't well, know okay, how so they allow. Follow up question to that is then what do you think they should do to that make sure it never happens again? Well, don't turn the ball over five times. You can't be minus three in the turnover margin. And you know what? You just you need to be more physical. They need to want it more. A good point was made to me at the bar by another Beaver fan. Like even when they were winning, I, I didn't really feel that they had the swagger that like Colorado State made a big play. They got up right. It was that was Colorado State's big game of the year was a Pac-12 team. Whereas Oregon State kind of felt like a team that waltzed in there and said all right this is our bull year we can we can get away with just being who we are and they didn't bring that extra something that I think you need sometimes on the road yeah yeah so that's uh here Matt Chiafoni uh on Blitz asks he has a couple here but this one after last week who would you say has a better chance for postseason football or hoops and that's not including CBI uh where would you go I'm gonna, I, I still think football right now. See, I think if we're going postseason, the Pac-12 basketball season, um, th- that conference is going to be really tough this year. But I, I'm going to go with hoops. Hoops, okay. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're making me lay money down, like you're doing a wager, pick one or the other. I still believe Oregon State can win six games. Uh, again, this doesn't have to be a, a death sentence on your season. You could still be a six-win program, but... I think right now, if I'm laying money, I'm going to lay money on the return of Trace Tinkle mixed in with the uh, the young talent and returning players for Oregon State hoops. Then Matt Chifoni also says, next January, this is a multiple choice question for you. Next January, Kevin McGiven is A, coaching QBs at OSU, B, co-OC and QB coach at OSU, Still on C is still on OSU staff, but for his Chandler, Arizona connection, or D, applying for a position at OSU Credit Union. 
So I'm going to take it. Matt's not a big McGiven fan right now. I, I that just that was a question. Um, I will say he is still OC quarterback guy. Okay. I don't think anything unless he takes another jobs elsewhere. Um, if you're making me wager on Oregon State status, I, I don't think there's going to be a change. Again, I, I see why people are upset. I thought there was some inconsistent play calling as well. I'm going to give it a few weeks. So I'm going to give it four, five, six weeks. I'm going to give it to a midway point and then kind of really get into, like, are we sure this guy is the right guy to be calling the plays? So now we're going to switch sides. BM68MC on Blitz says, in my opinion, one of the coaches that I felt last year made some of the best halftime adjustments regarding game strategy was Coach Kloon. What the blank happened on Saturday? Was it the kids not executing or the coaches not adapting to the game? Well, look, we're, we're in an industry where we don't like to call out college players. It's just, it, mm-hmm. it, I have no problem doing it personally because these kids go to pros next year and suddenly we're okay with that. Um, but a lot of people feel because they're not paid, we, we feel uncomfortable with it. A lot of, I mean, some of this has to go on the players. You, you're given the plays, you got to go execute, right? But I, I'm going to go coaching here. I, I'm with him. I, I thought. Kevin Clune was ready this year to take this defense uh, to the next level. Yes, to the next level. And he may at one point get it clicking, but I walked away concerned about the secondary and hugely concerned about your front seven. You got no push. Yeah. You got pushed around, no sacks, and your linebackers had terrible, terrible angles on run plays and even dropping back in the uh, the passing game. So I completely agree because that was one of the, you know, usually, you know, this is a team that, you know, Colorado State that they've kind of prepared for. You know, mm-hmm. they've watched a lot of film on Colorado State. And to come in that lost looking, frightening. Well, I have, okay, I, we, I know we have a lot of questions. I just want to throw one out. Maybe it's one of the questions we have. I couldn't remember if it was on Twitter or our text line that we had on a radio show, but I thought it was a really interesting point. And it's one I'm not completely sold on, but it was brought up nonetheless. And that was somebody just kind of pointing out, Gary Anderson might be a really good coach. This is kind of a Mountain West coaching staff. I mean, mm-hmm. they've lost a couple of their guys now. Uh, Kalani was obviously the big one, year one, and then he's done. He's the head coach. Some people were just wondering about the coaching staff. Like, are we sure this is a Pac-12? I don't know, Worthy's not the right word, but is this a Pac-12 level coaching staff right now? Well, I, I, there's so much to be said for that. I mean, you know, there's like Jim McElwain. I mean, he came from Colorado State, mm-hmm. and now he's, you know, these guys coaching football is coaching football. But I will say, you know, it goes down to recruiting, and you know, everything starts and ends with recruiting in my world. So, but the lines, recruiting the offense and defensive lines, has to get better. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just the end of the day. Well, and I guess that was part of it too. Was it's not just the coaching aspect; it was also recruiting and. You know, some people feel like the just it's not going very well right now in a couple different areas, and uh, I thought that was an interesting point brought up. It's not something I necessarily buy into yet. Yeah, um, I don't buy into it yet. Um, but it's something that people will be monitoring and saying, well, maybe after X amount of games this year they do. But several of these coaches were at Wisconsin with Gary, so you know, I don't buy that. That's true too. Yeah, that's true too. Um, Big Island Beef, Aloha, Big Island Beef. Um, Players and coaches downplay this all the time, but how big was not having that call overturned on the last play of the drive at halftime in reality? The Togi touchdown. Is it hard? It's hard for me. I don't know what about about you, but it is hard for me to say 
if they get the touchdown, it's a different game. You lost by 31 points. Like you still played pretty poorly in the in the second half. If it would have been closer and came down to what that touchdown would have meant, okay. Your momentum should not be crushed to the point where you disappear in the second half. Exactly, exactly. Over a touchdown. That's a clear touchdown. That was a horrible officiating crew. But to me, I don't think it, it swayed them to the point of losing that game. I think they lose that game regardless. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, these kids are, are college kids. They shouldn't be, it's not, you know, third grade football. They shouldn't be upset because something didn't go their way. Well, and they, even if they're feeling that way, you know whose job it is to get them focused for the, the second coaches. half? It's the coaching yes. staff. So. so this actually kind of just plays into a question we had one before last. Yakoff on Blitz says, how can we improve re- recruiting results for offensive and defensive line players? You'd have to answer that it's, one. You know what? That's I mean that's the billion dollar question, Yakov, and we talk about it on Blitz all the time. Um, you know, there's just not that many big, fast, strong, nimble guys out there. Oregon State's in on them. I mean, they try, and then the, you know those kids go to Stanford or USC. Are they running the right system for what they can get? Well, okay, that's that's one of my questions. Is the fact that we've seen so much change right in offense especially offensive scheme the identity people i mean i know there's a bunch of people on blitz that don't agree with me on this but what is oregon state's identity i know coach anderson says it's run 60 past 40 but then he also talks about wanting to bring in some air raid elements mm-hmm. i i see lots of different quarterbacks i mean where i was thinking i was going through this when for my he said she said that we ran on monday under under the anderson era so we are two two full seasons, and now a, one game into the third season. We have seen Seth Collins at quarterback. We've seen uh, Nick Mitchell at quarterback. We've seen Garrettson, Blount, McMarion, and now Luton. And and they're all different. Yeah. You know. So, you know, what is what is the identity in offense? Are they really trying to run the ball sixty percent of the time? That you know, to me, the jury is still out on that. Well, the other thing too is, and we mentioned this earlier, is will they be able to run the ball 60% of the time? Exactly. You know, how much of that, how much of the way they feel about that offensive line or running game, or at least felt going into week one, was based and predicated on facing the two worst teams in this conference last year in Oregon and Arizona. Yeah. Where you faced them both at home, and you steamrolled Arizona where McMarion had three touchdowns, and then you were down and you came back and ran it 20 straight times down Oregon's throat and won the Civil War, you also wonder about that. Does that play a factor into your mentality or feelings about a group? Now, I know they lost, what, three starters on that offensive line, but it didn't feel like they were going to be that bad. Again, let's wait to see where Colorado State is, and I'm going to give them a few weeks. But I think there's validity to a lot of questions, and people can disagree with it. That's fine. But you asked the the offensive identity and, and how to fix recruiting on the defensive front and offensive fronts. I don't have an answer for that outside of you just got to win. I think when you win, a lot of things change for you. You suddenly go get that three-star, 6'6", 300-pound offensive lineman that's almost a four-star kid. I, I think it's really that simple of win games. That- well, and, and Oregon State, it, it is what it is, but you know their D-line right now, you know, they're still waiting for Craig Evans. We'll, we'll see if we see him. Um, and then they've lost three defensive ends. So Joe Robinette transferred to San Diego State. Yep. He's one of your 6'7". He actually played last year. Um, Shamaya Unutoa-Whitson is 
sideline. He played last year as as more of a, a pass rush linebacker D end, but they they want to get him some weight to be an actual D end. But they lost Isaac Garcia, who yeah. they were expecting. He was a four star who was recruited to be more in Sataki's four three when they when they ran the four three, and then they lost Kenny Turnier, who was another one of their big recruits that they were banking on being a, a fast pass rusher. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, some of that's on them. Yep. I, I, I look. You would know the nuances of the recruiting. Um, but you're. But I agree with you a hundred and ten percent. It's just winning. Win. Yeah. It's winning. It's winning because they're in the living rooms right now. They're in the conversations with a lot of really good players. It's a matter of winning and and showing that that vision is is correct. People don't like to see this, and I know classes can change in a month. But the team down south, it just they have the ability to recruit off a crappy season and build with promise because of certain advantages they have, whereas you can maybe be in the living room, but you need to start preaching your win-loss record. That's going to matter. If you're going to get kids to Corvallis, it's going to be about winning ball games. Yep, and and right now with Stanford, you know, Stanford sucked for several years, and, uh, you know, now Stanford, that's what that's what they're doing. They are going after offensive and defensive linemen first. Well, and they have you know? the academic restrictions. That exactly. doesn't seem to stop them at all for anybody they really want. Now, I will say, I, I have to give a shout-out to Trent Moore, because when Coach Kavanaugh recruited him, I think he was like 245 maybe out of Arizona. Uh-huh. And I thought, there's no way ever this kid's going to be big enough to play. And, A, kudos to him for, for bulking up and getting strong. But he graded out um, on Beaver Blitz as the best line or offensive lineman this week. Wow! So uh, kudos to him. And, yeah. But I'm interested to see. You know, do we see Cami Delp come in? Do we see a Kali'i Montabon come in? And um, you know, do we see some shake? You know, some shakeups. This is what I was talking about. Do you do you toy with you it right it away? I know or we do you talked wait? about this a couple weeks ago yeah. on the pod. Yeah. Do you you know do you give these guys? I, I right now they're going to get another game or two, but I. I wonder how close the staff sees Adelp or Montabon yeah. in, in that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, more questions? Um, well, we have a couple. Let's get, um, two, let's get two more in. Okay, so DY8080 says, assuming we don't go to a bowl game after watching the product Saturday, does Anderson's seat get at least a little warm after the season? Uh, a little warm, yes. Uh, to the point of like hot seat talk, no. I will never have that conversation next year. Um, I, I, I'm one of those... They financially owe him a ton of money. The buyout, what is that? But I'm okay with having pressure on on head coaches in college football, especially going into what would be year four of still no bowl appearance. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I'm okay with with fans and maybe the program, the department, and media members applying some pressure. When you get to year four, I mean, you are officially in look in the mirror, where's your program? That reflects you currently. And some even make that argument about year three. Year four to me is deserved. If they don't go to a bowl game this year, and I know their schedule was really tough, but if you don't go to a bowl game, I think it is a okay to have a little bit of a a little bit of a warm seat. Not not a scorching hot one where he gets fired after year four, but I'm okay with people kind of questioning just a little bit. Yeah, I I yeah I don't see it being super hot, but yes, questioning and and maybe wondering about some changes to you know coordinators potentially um how, and then how, I have, real uh, quick real quick real quick okay go ahead no it's a real quick question i had for you is it just your four then where it's the hot seat talk like when we talk hot seat hot seat like kevin sumlin type hot where if you had a bad season you're done is that year four or is it longer than that you think for oregon state 
I think they give him more, especially with Scott Barnes being the the AD. Yeah, being his guy. And but you know four that's going to be all you know that's going to be his guys. So um, he's got to you know and that's we've had a couple questions on Twitter here kind of about um, psychological and just the mentality. But the one I want to get to here is DJ Layden says was last Saturday a worse defeat than any of the following: Eastern Washington, Sac State, or Montana? No way that no way that was worse yeah. than uh, Sac State. Um, yeah, I can't any any of them. Any um, of them, I agree. Yeah. They're not as bad. Those are lower level. You, the Sac State game, I'll never. For, I was at that game. I was excited to see what Ryan Katz was going to do, and then in comes Sean Mannion. Second half, they're struggling, and they get the two point conversion over Jordan Poyer, and they win the game. I just sat there in absolute astonishment that they could lose a game to Sacramento State. I know, I know that I was that was the worst one. That. Montana, I don't. I think I might have been a student then, but um, I don't remember that one. Yeah, well, Stack State ended up fin- finishing like middle of the road in the Big Sky that year. They weren't even like that great of a team. Yeah, no, they are. <laughs> and Eastern Washington was a good team that beat. Eastern Washington was a good team, formidable opponent, but still, I mean, Stack State was the worst. Well, both of those I was going to say are FCS. At least you yes. still had like yes. the you have the Mountain West could be one of the best teams in the Mountain West New Year's Six type team in in Colorado State. Yeah, I, I it's not even in the same. Yeah. League. All right. You got any more or is that it? Well, here's one more. Okay. Um, one more. I want one reason. This is Sean Leahy on Twitter. Last week's score is not indicative of what this team can accomplish. It's too talented. Give me one reason for fans to take their hand off the panic button. Uh, well, I, I like that. I, yeah, I don't think last week is indicative of who they're going to be this year. It's week one. You regroup and you see where you're at in a couple weeks. Uh, one reason to take the hand off the panic button. Yes. Portland State. And Minnesota. Uh, I'll put those as one thing. I know those are two games, but I think these next two are your season. If you are a bowl team, you win these two win games. These two. I'm sorry. Just the, the way the conference is going to be this year, your first three-game slate, it stacks up incredibly difficult for you uh, to the point of being able to to get to that, to that, that uh, pinnacle. So I think Portland State's a good chance to right the wrongs and steer the ship back in the right direction. And then I think Minnesota is your, you better pack that stadium, Beaver Nation, get 44,000 in that stadium. And if you win that game, you walk away 2-1 and one in a non-conference. And a lot of people thought you were going to be 2-1 and one regardless. Suddenly, you build a little confidence and you get two wins before going into conference play. I, yeah, you know, that's they have to win. But that, I, I like that you called out Beaver Nation because, you know, you can say all you want about the team quitting on the second half and... and but Beaver Nation, let's see it. Are you going to quit on the beef? Well, somebody said an over-under of 12,000, jokingly, on our text machine. <laughs> and I said, give me the slight over on that. But in all seriousness, if it's you— It's Portland State. I mean, honestly, it's going to be hot. No, I know. I'm not I'm not going. I'm going to watch the game at home, and I'm going to watch the rest of college football weekend. But take Minnesota. Like, assume so, they win if, Portland if State. stadium better be rocking. If I mean, if it's not capacity, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear— about any other fan base and if they're fake, if they're real, you have yeah. no other, like there's no other excuse. You should be packing that stadium for Minnesota. That is your season right there. Yep. I completely agree. Unless they lose to Portland state. And then we just have a depressing season ahead of us, but uh, all right. Good. And good then, stuff. And good then questions. we look for a um, alcohol sponsor for the damn podcast. Yes, we do. Any hard liquor sponsors. We don't <laughs> even want beer. Need 
something to make it more more appealing. All right. Well, uh, hey, good stuff. Sorry we're a day late. Again, technical issues, not our fault. Um, but uh, we were determined to get you a pod this week, one day late. Um, thank you. Great questions, everybody. Sorry if we didn't get to all the questions. We appreciate them on Beaver Blitz. We appreciate them on Twitter. Um, we we love the interaction. It's going great this year. Thank you to all the feedback, whether it's positive or negative. We love it either way, um, and we're having a great time. So hopefully this weekend it's uh, they steer the ship in the right direction. I have them blowing out Portland State. Angie, do you think it's going to be close, or do you think they win in a blowout? You know, I haven't picked my score yet, but I, I think it's a, a I'm going like what 14, 17 point win. Okay. All right. Uh, I will feel a little uneasy about a fourteen point win, but you know what? A well, win it's more like is a, a win. Tw- I guess I was thinking fourteen to like thirty four. I'm just spitballing here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's more like a twenty twenty point win. Okay, yeah, that's that's around the the thing that I, I would like to see. Uh, I'd like to see it higher than that, but look, I'll give we'll I'll give Portland State the benefit of the doubt. Um all right, so thank you everybody for listening to this week's edition of the damn podcast. We'll be back next week, hopefully with a uh, a guest. I got something in the works. We'll see if it works out for next week or if we have to push it another week. Angie, thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week for another edition of The Damn Podcast.